Welcome to another episode of Rippin' Hoops. Carson, the Celtics. That was crazy. What do you think? That's just how I thought it was planned out to be. Oh. The Celtics. The Celtics, who are known for blowing fourth quarter leads, second half leads, they, come, they get a fourth quarter comeback of their own, outscoring Golden State by 24 in Golden State. Um, yeah. Boston in five. That's what I was going to say. You really think so? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, Boston played as a team probably the best game they probably played all playoffs with it. And Curry could have really not have played really any much better. And and Tatum couldn't have played any much worse. And they still won by double digits. So I feel like, uh, I feel like Boston has the advantage here. And defense usually always comes and beats offense usually in these situations. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were talking about how the Warriors can win, can win a game just with one hot quarter, but we saw the Celtics can win a game with one basically hot quarter, but also because their defense is so good. Um, Curry wasn't good the whole game, but Tatum was terrible the whole game, and Curry was red hot in the first quarter. He had like six threes. Um, so, yeah, pretty, I wouldn't say Tatum incredible. Was, I wouldn't say Tatum was terrible. I'd say he was not very good shooting the ball. Uh, as a playmaker, he was fantastic. That's true. Getting all of his guys open, Al Horford making six threes, Marcus Smart hitting four threes, Derek White hitting five threes, even Pritchard getting in and playing meaningful minutes in the second half. Tice hit a three. Uh, Yeah, Tice hit a three. So getting a lot of guys um, open, and Boston was making their shots in the fourth quarter. I think they started like eight for eight from three in the the fourth quarter. So, uh, yeah, they were on fire especially Horford and White. It seemed like they weren't missing at all. So what do you think of the Grant Williams 16 minutes, zero points? I think he. I think it's because he doesn't match up as well as he did in the other matchup, uh, matchups against Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami that have a lot more size. I think that they'll probably lean more on a smaller guy like Derek White and Pritchard to kind of fulfill those minutes um and the way Derek White's been playing off the bench there's really no way that you can take him out in the fourth quarter because of how good his defense is and if he shoots like that with confidence there's really and he's another two-way player like Marcus Smart on the court so uh there's really nowhere for him to fit unless there was an injury to like uh, Horford or if Williams had to sit out again Robert Williams that is yeah, I think you're right with the Grant Williams part. Like, there's no one for him to really guard on the Warriors because Draymond's not that great offensively. Um, and Looney, obviously, you don't really need Williams out there because you've got Horford or Grant Williams. Um, so I guess they almost would rather just have someone with quicker hands on Draymond as a playmaker. Do you know who was guarding Draymond most of the night? I, I guess I kind of forget, but I, I'm curious. Guarding Draymond most of the night? I'm pretty sure it was... It was Al Horford okay. most of the time. Um, Williams would catch into switches sometimes, but Williams was mostly there to box out with Looney. Looney's great on the offensive rebounds. That's why he stays in the game. Like you said, he doesn't really have much of an offensive threat, but he's just there to get offensive rebounds, get putbacks, and kind of fill out to uh, his shooters on the outside. But, yeah, uh, Boston played a great all-around game kind of in the beginning of the game, it was kind of like Boston's defense didn't show up. 
the reason why they got there, they were kind of getting exploited. And then the, the second half and especially the fourth quarter was like the tail of opposites. They were just great on the defensive side. And then of course making everything as well. So um, there's really nothing you can do if a defensive team like that gets hot as well. Yeah. I mean, Steph had, I mean, Steph had a three, a wide open three in the fourth quarter when they were down 15. So the three would have put it to 18 points and he missed that and the whole thing turned. I wonder if that's one of those shots that that goes in and kind of Celtics give up then, but it's just tough for the Warriors because they played well. I mean, Steph was I obviously just like unbelievable in the first quarter. And then not that he was like terrible throughout the game, but the Celtics really just sold out on him. That's all they were really doing was guarding him. And I think they'll probably continue to do that. So good for them for figuring out that strategy. But the Warriors had Otto Porter off the bench four for five. And then Iguodala hit a three. Bielitsa hit a three. Like their bench played pretty well, but Poole was getting exposed. Um, and then Draymond two for 12 isn't great. Yeah, Draymond had a very rough night uh, when it comes to scoring the ball. They made him into a scorer because how much they were leaving him open. And I think Draymond just wanted to basically just keep him honest, make a couple so they feel like they have to guard him. And then if they play even a little bit more up on Draymond, it just leaves more space for other guys around like Thompson and Curry and Wiggins to, to shoot. But they were just daring Draymond to shoot and they just couldn't make anything, not even from the free throw line. I think – when it was a close game, I think it went – no, no. It was when it got to, like, eight or so, and Boston was up by eight. Um, Draymond went to the line, and he missed both free throws, and then Boston went down and made a three. So, five-point turnaround there. So, yeah, Draymond just all around, just not known for his scoring, but just he didn't even keep the Boston's defense honest. He was just a liability on the offensive side. Yeah, and I think this is, like, kind of an important win for the series. Obviously, that's true, but the things that happened tonight is, I mean, I don't know if Steph's – he kind of re-rolled his ankle, but it's probably fine. Um, but Boston kind of – not figured out Steph, but obviously they figured out how to make him get considerably less open looks. He maybe got, like, two in the second half after getting a ton in the first quarter. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is they won in Golden State on the road when most of the time teams that play against a team that just came off a seven-game series, they usually win. So Boston Seals won in Golden State when Golden State was heavily favored. And two of the next three games are going to be in Boston. So that's tough. Um, obviously, the next one in, in – uh, I was going to say Oakland, but in San Francisco. But, like, don't you think the next game is kind of a must-win for the Warriors? I definitely think it's a must win because, I mean, if there is any home court advantage, Golden State has it. Um, or, well, it's not called Oracle anymore. Um, but, Chase uh, yeah, those, I mean, Boston fans are good, but, and they, they support their team very, very well. We know that. But in the playoffs, Boston really hasn't played very well. They haven't, they've had opportunities to close out games on their home court, and they didn't. They've played a lot better on the road. Um, it seems like um, if Boston has a lead or a close game in uh, TD Garden, they seem to kind of fumble the, the bag a little bit um, or they let up on the gas where it is on the road. They feel like there's maybe there's not enough, there's not as much pressure and they kind of just play more freely. And it seems like they have been playing better on the road. Um, but I feel like if Boston was to go up 2-0, 
in the series, then yeah. Because um, then they just have to I, win one of the next two, or yeah. And if they don't, the Warriors. Yeah. I mean, they're up three one. Yeah. Um, so, I feel like if they go up two zero, or if they go up even like three one or something, I feel like it'd be it'd be over at that at that uh, at that point. And the other big thing is if the Warriors win this game, like, I mean, it was not not a must win. The finals are the finals are different. I feel like because I feel like in the finals, obviously every game's bigger, but in the finals, like if you go down two zero, that's pretty tough because then you're in the must situation, must win situation. Um, if you're down two zero, like we saw it, we saw it with Dallas and Phoenix, we saw that comeback, um, but I just don't think that's going to happen in the finals. So like if if Boston loses this game and they lose game two, then it's just like getting out of hand. Now they've they've taken a big a big hold on the series. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm stating facts like finals games are important, of course, but like this felt, this one felt really big. Yeah, it was huge. Um, another thing as well with the finals that you talked about as well is that they get, they basically get two full days off of rest after getting four days off of rest as well. And that's huge kind of for Boston that had to play two back-to-back game sevens, basically, uh, 14 games and 28 nights, so a game every other day. Um, so for guys like Al Horford, um, maybe a guy like Robert Williams who's been injured, um, so they get a little bit more rest between games, and I think um, that's what kind of helped Boston and made Boston look a little bit more fresher than they had in the last couple uh, games against Miami. So what do we think? I'm just looking through the box score. Gary Payton, the third, zero minutes, but he was available to play. I feel like, before before you give your answer, I feel like he was so important in the Memphis series because he was able to guard John Morant or, like, better than most. But, like, I don't know who he really guards in the Celtics because Smart's not, like, an unbelievable offensive player that you need to put a stopper on. And he's not guarding Tatum, so I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, why. I think I think the one guy that he might be able to guard is like Brown, but Brown because like, but Brown isn't really that much of a off the dribble score. I would say no, he can't he's even not, dribble. Yeah, he's not a very good dribbler, um, and Jalen's a little bit bigger for him. But I feel like he'd be like the closest guy to it, or just maybe containing Marcus Smart. But I feel like when you have guys like Jalen Brown and. Jason Tatum on the offensive side, having a guy like Marcus Smart shoot a 25-footer isn't the worst thing. So I don't really know where he kind of fits in. We know that he does not a huge offensive threat. He's been making a lot of his shots um, in the playoffs, but I feel like a guy like Otto Porter um, fits in the, the mold to play um, more off the bench for him. Yeah. Okay, so you agree it's, it's, like, a, it's like a situational thing, kind of. It's just because – it was different. Him guarding Jaw was a lot, a lot more important. Yeah, because Jaw is one of the best off the dribble uh, players in the NBA, most explosive players, and Gary Payton's kind of basically a, a lockdown defender on someone that can dribble, create his own shot. Um, I wouldn't say he's an off-ball pest, um, but he just doesn't really match up with any of the the key guys for Boston. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably going to stay that way unless they figure out kind of putting him in the pick and roll and making him more of a playmaker because he can do that. Um, but, yeah, it seems like that was definitely one, – One thing I want to 
admit as well to like how well Adoku coached for Boston today as well. Um, I mean, after the first quarter, he just coached basically an immaculate game. I don't know if you noticed at the end of the game when they were making their run, like when they made their comeback and they basically um, are up four, they call a timeout with like 350 left. They have four timeouts. They call, they call a timeout with 350 left. They go down, they make a three, right? And then they get the rebound. And then the next possession at like 320, they call another timeout. And the reason why they do that is because if it goes under three minutes, if you have over three timeouts, you lose one of those timeouts automatically. So he got two timeouts in basically 30 seconds uh, to draw plays that they both scored and stopped Golden State on the other side. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's great coaching, great awareness to kind of know when to call those timeouts. And if he would not have called them, um, he would have basically lost them. So um, I felt like he just coached a great game and was very aware of his surroundings of uh, basically when to not or when to use his timeouts uh, efficiently. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's definitely good to use it when you're going to lose it. But on this, on this, at the same time, it's not like the Warriors didn't get a drop plays during the timeouts. But I think – but I, but I know, I know. But it was like, it was like, it was when Boston had the ball, right? Yeah. They, they do off, they do offensive possessions. That's true. Yeah. So, um, it it helped them out. They scored on both those possessions. I believe it was an Al Horford three, and it was an Al Horford, uh, uh, like corner shot. So, yeah. Um, he he drew up some great plays, and kind of the reason why the game kind of got out of hand for Golden State. Yeah, I was amazing. Rest in peace to his grandfather, but he was amazing. Sad, sad story um, to hear that. But first time in the finals, he was great. And he made, I mean, Steph's first quarter explosion, but Horford only made one less three than him. And he shot six of eight. Yeah, when you think of a guy like Al Horford that, like, was on Oklahoma City last year and, like, they didn't even play him. Like, the, he just, they just didn't play him. That had more to do with like tanking than him. for sure. But he yeah. literally did not play a year of basketball. Yeah, and now he's in uh, predicament. I would think that maybe if I mean if it was a one game series, he probably would have been the MVP of the game. I don't know. Yeah, probably him or White. Uh, him or White, but they wouldn't they wouldn't give it to a guy off the bench. Um, I feel like Al Horford was kind of the best player on the court tonight. And then on the other side, when you think of a guy like. Jordan Poole, who was in the G League all year last year. I think he was not even first team all G League. He was second team all G League. And now he's playing meaningful minutes in the finals as well. He didn't have a good night. But two guys that have kind of basically gone off of what they did last year by not playing or being not even in the NBA to um, being pivotal pieces for both sides. Yeah. 100% agree with that. Um, do we have anything else on this game? Predictions for the next games? And then we will talk a little bit of Blazers news. Uh, like I said, I mean, I don't feel like Tatum could have played any worse. I feel like Curry maybe could have played better in the second half, but Curry was hitting a lot of shots. So, I mean, if Tatum's playing that bad, I feel like Boston just could get better and better. 
Um, but I feel like Boston's going to win in five. That's just my opinion. I feel like you look at Boston's um, competitors in the playoffs with Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Miami compared to Golden State's with Jokic, who was basically 1v5 in the Nuggets, um, Memphis with John Morant, who got hurt, and then um, Dallas, who basically just couldn't make a three-point shot for basically four and a half of the five games. So I feel like Boston has played a lot better competition, um, and I just feel like they have a better team overall. It's funny because we went from you thinking the Heat and the Warriors would be in the finals and me thinking the Celtics and the Mavericks would be in the finals to now you think this is going to be Celtics in five, which I don't know if I can get there. I think Celtics in six, but I, I guess if they, if they lose, uh, if they lose this game too. Celtics in five could happen for sure, but it's also very possible that this thing goes seven and this was kind of just a hot shooting night for the Celtics. It's hard to tell, but I think this was important for them, especially for their confidence. Yeah, but we'll see. Um, I just feel I feel confident in Tatum. I feel like Tatum's made the leap. And um, if they get contributes out of guys like Horford, Derek White, Pritchard, I feel like their sixth and seventh guys are a little bit better than Golden State's. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I'm going to predict Celtics in six, but um, great game. Great high-level basketball. wasn't a close game. It was another blowout, but it was weird because it was like we were thinking it was going to be a Warriors blowout, and then suddenly this Celtics blowout. So yeah, it was I, mean, still really I mean, for how bad the NBA, has, the NBA playoffs have been with just blowouts and uncompetitive games, um, the game seven between Boston and Miami was a great finish, great end to that game, and then – um, yeah, like you said, it ended in the 12-point game, but um, it was exciting watching Boston kind of just make everything and play great defense. It was a close game in the fourth quarter. It was closer than what the the score contributed to. Yeah, close because it started as the Warriors' big lead. But um, in some other news, Blazers hired Mike Schmitz, ESPN, to, do, um, to be an assistant general manager. Um, what do you think about that move? I personally like it a lot. I like it a lot. He is very knowledgeable on his basketball. Um, he's been working college for ESPN. players, especially. Yeah, especially when it comes to the college side and uh, the scouting. Um, and yeah, he's been with ESPN for a while. Knows what he's talking about. And yeah, I feel like it's a it's a really good hire for the Blazers. They also hired uh, Sergi Oliva. I might be saying that wrong. Oliva. I'm probably just butchering that, but they also hired him to be an assistant general manager. Um, I believe he was on the Utah Jazz staff um, under Quinn Snyder over the last few years. So we hired him as an assistant general manager. Um, Do you know much about him? Don't know much about him. Well, either way, it seems like Joe Cronin is, you know, kind of revamping his staff, getting ready to make some moves. Um, we've talked about what we think will happen in the off season, so we don't have to get in there into that just yet. But hiring of Mike Schmitz, do you think it it tells us that they're going to try to make that make that pick at number seven, or is that kind of just a move that he'll help out with at thirty six and fifty seven? I believe. Oh, I feel like it's going to help out wherever what happens happens. But I mean, I feel more confident now having a guy like him kind of 
be there and overview the staff and see what if we do get it a seventh pick or maybe sees um, a scenario where there's a better option to move down, sees talent maybe a little bit more lower in the draft that people don't and get some assets back and kind of get the guy that we want lower in the draft and feel like we don't have to overprice him or overdraft him. Yep. No, I totally agree. I think it's a great move. And uh, in other Blazers news, Adrian Wojnarowski um, broke pretty big news. One of the biggest Woj bombs for Portland fans. Nike founder Phil Knight and Dodgers co-owner Alan Smolinski have made a $2 billion plus written offer to purchase Portland Trailblazers. Discussions are ongoing with the Paul and Allen Trust that's overseeing ownership of the team. The Blazers then came out um, via Woj and in a statement that the team was not for sale. However, I think, for one, I think that's kind of just, you know, public negotiation. I don't know if that's really necessarily true or they're just trying to drive the price up right now as it might be low given our our season. Um, And I also don't really see how the Allen family um, is going to keep this team because Adam Silver then came out saying that Jody Allen, the trustee of the Portland Trailblazers, has to sell the team at some point in the future. He says he does not know when that will happen and that Allen has become a great steward for the franchise and that his preference is that the team stays. And Woj also said that one of the main parts of this purchase would be to keep the Blazers in Portland. So really good news um, for all of us. I think it'd be pretty cool if it happened. We might change the Moda Center into like the Nike Center or something. Mm-hmm. The Nike Blazers memorabilia would, would just, you know, it'd be flying off the shelves. It'd be tons of it. I, I think this would be awesome. Um, Alan Smolinski has gone deep in his pocket for the Dodgers, so I don't see why he wouldn't do the same for the Blazers if this were to happen. And then I think that our ownership partnership is also linked to the Portland getting a WNBA expansion team. Yeah, WNBA is kind of taking a big um, leap as well. So, yeah, I see them maybe getting one of those as well, like you talked about. Um, but, yeah, the biggest the biggest thing when I saw from it was – um, uh, if a guy like Paul Allen or get, I, not, not sorry, not a guy like Paul Allen, if a guy uh, like Phil Knight was to buy the Blazers, it kind of just confirms that the Blazers would be staying in Portland for the long term. I know when Paul is sick um, or when he kind of was on his way out, he he seemed to stay more time in Seattle. He seems – I mean, in my opinion, I think he probably likes the Seahawks a little bit better than he did the Blazers. So you always thought of maybe uh, a revamp of him maybe taking the Blazers to Seattle um, to stay closer. You don't know what's thinking about with Jody Allen as well. Um, but, I mean, it's going to be – if they do sell, if she does sell it, it's going to be a huge profit for her. <laughs> I mean, Paul Allen bought the Blazers for $70 million and I guess the lowest offer is $2 billion. So, um it's not like she's going to be walking away empty handed or anything. Um, and I don't think she loves, I don't think she loves the Blazers. Like I agree. I, 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 I mean, I feel like he loved the Blazers, but I feel like he loved the Seahawks more in my opinion. Um, but I mean, just seeing the news today, it just kind of reassurance that the Blazers are here to stay in Portland and they're going to be here for a while. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. I think Paul Allen loved basketball. We always heard that he was a basketball dork. He loved being in the conversations. But something about it, it just seemed like he liked the Seahawks more. 
Um, and that's not to say he did anything wrong or didn't pay in the luxury tax or anything. It's more to do with the fact that I don't believe Jody Allen loves the team enough for me to trust her keeping it here. And I think if, I mean, if Phil Knight got it, why would he buy a team if it wasn't going to be in Oregon with the Nike headquarters here? Um, universe, him going to University of Oregon and all that. So I think it confirms it as well if that happens. But another thing that we've seen in NBA news lately is that um, the NBA will have 32 teams soon. Um, we don't know when, but it is pretty, I'd say it's well on track to be that we will have the Seattle Supersonics, not, maybe not Supersonics, we'll have an NBA team in Seattle and an NBA team in Las Vegas, which probably pushes Memphis and New Orleans to the Eastern Conference. Um, just based off of geographic location, I think those would be the two teams, which would be really cool. Um, or Dallas. Dallas could be a team as well. Yeah, I mean, Dallas, all the Texas teams are over there, but I think New Orleans and Memphis are the furthest. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, so I think that's, you know, that's a good sign. And then the other thing is, I, so if, if there's a team in Seattle, I, I just think there's no way the, the Blazers would get sold because one, the I-5 rivalry of the Blazers and Seattle, whatever their team's name is, would be awesome. You know, it'd be like the thing in the Pacific Northwest. And I think that the NBA and David Stern knew that he made a mistake letting Seattle go to Oklahoma City. I just I think he knew that you don't take an NBA team away from a city that loves it, especially when it's their only professional sports. I mean, we have the Timbers, but you know, as far as the the major, Timbers been playing pretty well. Yeah, scored they, seven goals the other night. They had that one seven goal game. I was there. Most goals in Timbers history, and one goal off of the most goals by an MLS. Team. Our boy Tuluma. Yeah, well. he has, he has. Hopefully he does does some work in the World Cup. Um, <laughs> I but, know he's uh, been doing some work with his new golf clubs, I know that. Yeah, yeah you saw him. Is that is that why <laughs> you're throwing this in here? Uh, I, fit him, I, I, fit him, I fit him for golf clubs, so. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so any, any, golf, uh, any golf news from Bill Tuluma, it's all going to come in my expense. Uh, I got him the right golf clubs. Gotcha, gotcha. What what is a set of golf clubs going for these days? For Bill or for anybody? Like for me, if I were to get a full set, all the irons, you know. Well, it depends. I mean, you're looking at like, I know, I know you played. You played in Hawaii, or do you just play mini golf there? Mini golf. I mean, I've probably golfed four times in the last two years, and then actually no, probably eight times. I mean, if you're looking for like the cheapest set, if you're looking for something that is like everything on sale, you're probably between like 800 and a thousand. And then if you're looking to kind of go all new um, stuff like that, you're probably between about 2,500 and 4,000. Okay. So it's going to cost a lot. So I I just want to do, I want to get like a, I want to just get a casual set to play around with, but it's going to, it's going to put a ding in my bank account. So it's holding me. I mean, you could always, you can always get those knockoff, like, you know, top flight or yeah, like those boring sets at at uh at Dick Sporting Goods or whatever. But it's it's not the same when you're yeah, getting this is, something. This is why Carson, you know, met met Chad at Red Tails. This is why he met Carmelo there because it's it's a rich guy. It's a rich man's sport. It's well, not, so is tennis. It, it is, but it, it's like. But but I mean, it's not it's not every day that you see. It's not. You, you don't. You don't. You don't see. You don't see a guy walk into a, a tennis club more than you probably see a, a famous person walk into a golf yeah, club. Yeah, 
I mean, my right. my friend Tim, he he met Chauncey Billups yesterday at um, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to give away where the country club just because it's kind of weird. But he met Chauncey Billups and um, Neil O'Shea in the, this last week at the country club. So famous people golf, and I mean tennis is expensive, the lessons, but the racket isn't. You know, it's just a one time couple hundred dollar thing. But anyway, a little off topic, but that's okay. Um, what were we talking about? Well, you were talking about Bill Tuiloma, and uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. I think you just wanted to, to leave it, but we were talking about the ownership of the Blazers, <laughs> yeah. you know, how they're not going to Seattle, um, and we can pretty much confirm that now, which is really good. Just, like, I think if the Blazers ever left, it would it would kill me inside. Like, Yeah, I, I don't know what kill I'd me do. too, and I just – I don't know, even if, like – even if they were to leave and they were to come back like the Supersonics are, basically, I don't know if it would feel the same, you know? I just, I just don't know. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Seattle would, would eventually just – it'd be a blast. Unless yeah. if it was like – unless it's like, I guess, Seattle getting a full brand-new team where yeah. teams are going to have to select players to keep, the rest are going to yeah, go yeah. into a draft. So you're basically getting a full new team. That makes sense. But, like, if the Blazers were to leave and somehow, like, let's just say they go to a, a city like Louisville or Pittsburgh or something, like, it's just not going to be the same. I'm not going to root for Pittsburgh or whatever. It would just be – it'd be a weird situation. No, oh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm on the same page with you there. I think I misunderstood the first time. But, yeah, if they got their own new team, they got to draft players, I think it would be really cool. But, like – you know, I, I think when a team moves, it's just not – I think it's really hard on the fans the team moves from. Like, Seattle fans don't like the Thunder now at all for the most part. Um, so it's not like we could just follow the Blazers there. And I think it's just it's just kind of weird when you get a team from another city. It's, it's a lot cooler to draft your players. And I'd be interested in that draft. I've never – I don't think it's happened since – yeah, it hasn't happened since we've been into basketball. Um, I don't so – how would really they cool. do – that probably like a – yeah, it's probably going to be another ESPN something where they basically just probably not with Adam Silver, maybe with um, the other guy. can't think of his name. Um, but um, I feel like, yeah, it'd be another kind of draft night deal where um, kind of players on their teams like CJ Ellaby or, or um, Eric Bledsoe or guys that are in Portland for – that night and then they're going to be somewhere else maybe um after that night so uh it'd be a, it'd be a cool experience i know i've gone through it on 2k a couple times <laughs> but i feel like living it out in a real life situation would be really cool to watch and see yeah i'm just i did some research while you were talking the last time this happened was in 2004 so in 2004 the charlotte bobcats had an expansion draft um, prior to the 2004 NBA draft, and the rules were the Bobcats got to select a minimum of 14 players um, who would be under contract or restricted free agents for 2004-2005. Bobcats may select no more than one player for each team, so you'd get basically a player from each team. Um, not each team, but like half the teams, I guess. Um, the Bobcats can only select players that are left unprotected by an NBA team. Each of the 29 NBA teams may protect a maximum of eight players on its roster. Um, all right. All right. So well, here's a question. Here's a question. Who if would the Blazers to... protect? Yeah. 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 If you're kind of going – like if it was going to happen this offseason, 
who would the eight players you'd protect from Portland be? I mean, we don't even like have eight players. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you got. So this is this is going into next year. So no, no. Can we? Okay. Okay. Let's say let's say we have our draft pick. We mm-hmm. we've picked we've drafted our player. So, Dame, of course. Um. Josh Hart. Anthony Simons. Houston Anthony Nurkic. Simons. Well, maybe maybe Nurkic, this will be interesting. Okay, so. But Nurkic, Nurkic isn't under contract, though, is he? No, you're right. He's he's unrestricted. So the team could just pick him, actually. Or yeah, no. so. They would have to sign three, him. Those three. I feel like if they were to keep a pick in the top ten, they would they would protect it. Um, yeah. I oh, they protect like, their 36, probably, too. I feel like Trenton Watford's contract is very good for his potential. I feel like they would keep that. Yeah. Okay. I was I was just looking. Unrestricted free agents are not eligible to be protected. Um, nor are they eligible eligible to be selected by the Bobcats. So they just you know do the normally normal free agency. Teams can't protect them. So you're right. No Nurk. Um, who? Where were we at? So we had Lillard would be one. Um, you said Simons would be two. Simons probably. two. Nasir Little three. Nasir Little. Four. Mm, mm, heart might be four. Okay, five. It doesn't matter. I'm not doing it in yeah. order. Just who you have. Heart five. Would be five. Um, I feel like. Um, I mean, Greg Brown's young. It's Keon. Six draft pick. Yeah. Seven. And then probably the other draft pick eight. Mm, I feel like they would. I feel like they would keep Brown over a guy picked at like forty. I mean, it's a it's a thirty six pick, and we we took Brown in the second round a couple of years ago, and he isn't great. But I mean, I think it's way way. It's definitely way more likely that someone would that the Bobcats would select whoever we picked at thirty six, and they would be picking Greg Brown. What's what's Winslow's contract? Um. Is it bad? Is this Winslow? No, he, he four million dollars a year. Uh, that may be someone I might keep too. Yeah, I just I think normally when I when I've seen these happen in the MLS and other sports, the teams go heavy on protect on protecting the youngest guy. So a guy like Winslow, I think they would consider giving up. But yeah. it's interesting because, like, I I remember doing this in my head for our team going into last year, and it's much harder with Covington, Powell, CJ, Dame. Anthony Simons, and Sierra Little, Yusuf Nurkic, all that. Well, yeah, because you got a lot of guys that just start are fillers because of how bad the team was. Yeah. Brandon Williams, Blevins, Bledsoe, Lazonia, um, Ingles. Lazada. Yeah, Ingles is an old guy, so they would not protect him. Um, Elijah Hughes, Ben McElmore is kind of just a filler, three-point shooter who can get on a minimum anyway, so they wouldn't protect him. So, yeah, um, I feel like it would, it, the, the, the top seven are pretty set in stone for who they would want to, uh, to keep, and then it's kind of a, a mixture of, like, would they want to keep uh, a young police like Greg Brown, or would they want to keep a pick at, like, 40, or would they want to keep not a veteran, but a guy that's it's, been – It's 36, not 40. Well – 
Yeah. Okay. This in 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 that in that range. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this would be so interesting, like so entertaining. Could you imagine? Obviously, it wouldn't happen this way. If, if it happened, teams would protect their players, and you'd see who they protected um, on social media a few days before the draft. But wouldn't it be so cool if it was like an ESPN event or a TNT event where, you know, it got revealed one by one who the teams kept and who they didn't, and then I know the for one happened. thing, I know for one thing, the Lakers would not protect Westbrook. <laughs> no way. They they would like do the opposite of protecting Westbrook. Do you think do you think a do you think a Seattle or a Vegas would take a Westbrook? Seattle 100%. Actually both of them would. Yeah. Well, cuz 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 like that's probably the I mean that'd probably be the best talent probably out of that. Well, scenario. and you have to I fill you have to fill your team with contracts. So. Yeah. Like, I mean I that's, like that's, that's probably I mean maybe that's what the Lakers are planning on not this year but if they hold on to him for one more year maybe that's how they get rid of that contract oh they're hoping westbrook will take him just for the just for the attention and all the tickets they'd sell i mean westbrook would sell all his tickets and then who knows maybe lebron's gonna retire in vegas on las vegas lebron's he'll become an owner on that team he'll try to buy it i honestly could see it i mean that's been talked about. I'm not. I'm not like creating this idea on my own. But that's been talked about. This. This could be a team for LeBron to buy, take ownership of, and maybe retire there if this becomes a thing in Las Vegas, just for the big stage. Not yeah. too far from LA. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a cool that'll be a cool thing to watch uh, when it happens. But yeah, I mean, those were the three big things for the Blazers: um, the two assistant coach, assistant GM hirings, excuse me, and then. Obviously, the news of Phil Knight potentially buying the team. Um, big news for a day where the NBA Finals happened. The fact that Woz was tweeting about us all day means this couldn't have just been something where Phil Knight wrote up an offer and the Blazers were like, what the heck? We aren't even looking at selling. I feel like there's something to this. Yeah. Um, I feel like they have to sell it at some point. And um, I feel like they're just they're just talking it over. I feel like it's going to be done. Um, I feel like he'd be the kind of perfect guy to, to, to buy the Blazers. Yeah. I mean, he, he's probably, he is old. So there's that, but it would be a great start, I think in the right direction. Um, I mean, not that Jody's like terrible, but I think, I think I'm ready for the, for Jody to not own the Blazers. Um, I mean, is that harsh? I don't know. It's just been a mess. It's been a mess um, since since the Stotts firing. All that had all that news with Neil Shea, and speaking of Neil Shea, like the Blazers in the past, we know how they've been with negotiations. We're not trading CJ. That's that was their stance. We're not trading CJ. No interest in trading C, trading CJ, and then he got traded. So I I wouldn't be surprised if this is you know we're not selling the team. We're not selling the team. We're not selling the team, but they're just raising the price. So I think we will be sold. In the next in the next couple of years, hopefully, yeah. And I mean, I don't know how much it would really affect and why why I should really care. I just think it'd be really cool. Nike, basically, I think it would help with free agents and stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, Nike Nike helps out for whatever. Um, when you think of how kind of basically how big Nike is out here, and it's it's kind of surprising that the Ducks really haven't been that much of a powerhouse. They might be a bigger powerhouse now that they can kind of pay their athletes a little bit more and 
Phil has all the connections there. So um, it's kind of surprising that the, the, the Ducks really haven't been a powerhouse in a, a, a college sport when you think of basically all the money and all the revenue that's coming in from Nike. Yeah, they started to, you know, go to a couple national championships a while ago, but then they lost them. They're kind of like Oregon Ducks football is like Gonzaga basketball in that way a little bit. Gone to a lot of titles, high expectations, but they haven't they haven't necessarily broke through yet. Um, oh, your boy Timmy's coming back. That's some news. Timmy's coming back. Julian Strother's coming back. And Rasir Bolton's coming back. So Gonzaga is going to be better than I thought last year. Three guys that I thought were probably gone. Um, and yeah, well, I feel like one. Timmy. This, this is a. This is a. Uh, it's basically a. It was the best route route for Timmy because Timmy's probably second round pick this year. He could probably creep into maybe a lottery pick next year if 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 everything goes like perfect for him. He just it. It doesn't seem like he was. It seemed like the scouts are not really on him, um, even though he was. Arguably, probably the best college basketball player in the in the nation last year. Yeah, I could see, I could see maybe lottery if he has an amazing game, but probably late first round still. And I think he would have gone maybe early second round this time because I heard at the draft combine he hit four threes in his first game and won the second game. So um, at least looking good there. But speaking of the draft combine, Andrew Nemhard had twenty six points and eleven assists, which is the most in a combine scrimmage over the last four years with one steal and just two turnovers during five on five competition. Apparently he dominated the entire scrimmage and looked like the only capable floor general, um, basically out there. And I don't know if that's good for him. There's a lot of mock drafts where it says that the Blazers with their last pick take a guy like Nimhard. I'd like, I don't know. I mean, they have so many guards as it is, but yeah, but if it's at 57, like, and he's still there. I don't think yeah. he will be there after this, but I think that'd be great. Um, so anything else? Anything else before we call it a night? Um, I want to know your opinions on this movie that's coming out on Netflix called Hustle with Adam Sandler. I don't know if you know anything about it. No, I have not heard of it, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to give an opinion. But Well, so it is basically kind of what we talked about, um, how – uh, Blazers are getting someone to kind of come in and be kind of basically the those college, the overseas kind of knows the route of where to find talent basically. And Adam Sandler is going to be in a movie kind of where he's a head scout uh, looking for talent. Um, guys like Anthony Edwards are going to be in it acting. You know, he's going to think he's probably the best actor in Hollywood. Um, he probably will be. But when you think of who's the star and who the – guy adam sandler's gonna kind of try to bring to the the nba it's kind of it's really funny to think about it um it's juancho hernan gomez he's gonna be the star of the movie that's why you texted me about him no way <laughs> you get anthony edwards in a movie and your star is juancho hernan gomez yeah so like i watched the trailer and they kind of have juancho hernan gomez doing all these dunks and three-pointers and getting more time uh, on the on the big screen that he's basically going to have in his whole career. Wait, when court. is this? When is this movie coming out? I think it comes out on the eighth of June on Netflix. It looks like it's in theaters right now. It might be. I know it's in LeBron Netflix. LeBron James movie, produced this produced this movie with Maverick Carter. No, like there's a ton of NBA players in this movie. Yeah, and but LeBron producing it—that's that's a big deal. 
Uh, Bobon's in it. <laughs> I'll definitely be watching this. There's no way I don't watch it. No, like I feel like it's going to be a good movie. Netflix usually always creates pretty good movies. Um, and Adam Sandler's, uh, he's, I mean, he was known for basically his funny stuff. Is but he the his, coach? Sandler? Yeah. Wait, who, who is, what is his he's role gonna be in the, the scout. He's going to be the scout. He's going to be oh the scout. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I'm going to be able to take him seriously enough to be a scout. He's going to be the scout that f- like finds Juancho Hernan Gomez and is going to have to basically tell the NBA like I think he's good I think the the trailer is like he's part of the 76ers organization so he's gonna have to try to convince the 76ers that Juancho Hernan Gomez is gonna be the next star of the NBA (laughs) it's just so funny that it's about a guy that's already in the NBA and isn't good well he's not like terrible but he doesn't play yeah that's it's fine I think he did drop like 30 on the Blazers one one game though but he is a forward guy and like it makes more sense um yeah i'll watch that for sure but, yeah i mean i think it, i think it's just funny that they're having juancho hernan gomez be the main guy oh no it's hilarious it's like i mean, I mean it's I like mean, the cj elby's main guy in the movie he's not that bad but yeah i mean but it's it's only because we know that stuff the the normal person that goes on to netflix and watches the movie probably will yeah. not know and then they'll be like oh he's in the nba yeah that's true that's true that's why it's probably probably good casting there well, I, I I thought I'd shout that out because yeah, no, I mean there's not related. there's not a lot of sports going on besides uh, the NBA Finals, but I, I mean, think this is it'll be something to watch. Real Madrid just gets completely outplayed by Liverpool in the Champions League final after the game started late due to some like fake tickets and tear gassing and weird stuff. But Real Madrid gets totally outplayed, wins the game. They went the first three rounds being down by at least two goals in the last 15 minutes, coming back, winning those, just totally improbable run, and then Courtois absolutely saving them, the only goal in the game. One shot, one Vinny shot Jr. on goal. Yeah. Right. One shot on goal, right? Tap in. Yeah. I mean, it, tap in. Tap ins get, like, kind of put down because it's like, oh, all the guy does is tap it in. But you still got to be in the right position. You got to make the right run. So. Well, Real Madrid's always got those guys. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I feel like the tap ins are usually more with – I don't know. It feels like tap-ins are more likely with guys in uh, La Liga. I don't know why. When I think of guys that tap it in, I feel like guys like Benzema and Suarez and guys like that. Yeah, that could come down to just like the La Liga generally has more like more passing that came mostly from Barcelona, but Spanish players in general. We like to pass the ball around a lot, so tap-ins, finding, making the extra yeah, pass. It feels like, I've, yeah, in Spanish, usually Spanish they have they run they usually run four back and they usually have their right winger or left winger be really really fast um when you think of all those good teams in spain as well so that's where they kind of have their crosses and kind of have their their strikers or their wingers kind of have availability to tap in more when they have more guys i guess up front yeah yeah and not that Vinny jr is like at all the guy that just scores a lot of tap-ins. And like I said, I think, I mean, calling Benzema and Suarez guys who get a lot of tap-ins doesn't mean it's not like a put-down. People said that about Ronaldo too, but it's, you know, being clinical, being in the right spot at the right time. So good good on Real Madrid uh, for the last five Champions League titles. This is, you know, a week after Man City came back and had that crazy run. So, so some big soccer lately, but that's it's coming down a little bit right now. We just got some friendlies. Paul Pogba probably headed back to Juventus from Manchester United. You know, second round, being at Manchester United, just not, not good. Didn't deliver. Had a few good games. Disappointing. Holland, Holland going to Man City. Yeah. 
Yeah. But still Parker, that would be nice. just like, it seems like a fun guy to be around, but just kind of a cancer on the team in the sense that I'm not even saying it's his fault, but his agent was just always, you know, rumors were always going around about him. And I think it just distracted the players. So I think that, I think we're ready for him. To, him I to feel like out. Dennis Schroeder is a wannabe Paul Pogba. He is. He's like Pogba, but not nearly as good. Tries to get him with the hair too. Pogba is friends with Jimmy Butler. He was behind the heat bench at the game seven. Yeah, but, uh, that surprised me. Yeah, I think I think that's probably enough enough random talk about soccer and uh, Adam Sandler scouting Juancho Hernan Gomez. So, go Celtics! I only say that because I'm rooting for them. Just I, I don't know. I like the turnaround story from a team that wasn't very good in the middle of the year comes back with defense. Yeah, it's kind of funny that we're rooting for a team that has the most championships of all time. Yeah, but it, it's just that's so distant from our lives. Like most of those, yeah. you know. I feel like the Warriors are that team for us now. Yeah. So it just doesn't feel – I don't have that connection to them, I guess. But um, And we're Bill Simmons guys. Yeah, we like Bill Simmons. We're Bill Simmons. We're Dave Dave Portnoy guys. We're we're, – Okay, you. You are. You are. (laughs) Think about Dave Portnoy. But um, anyway, thanks for listening. You see him at the games in Miami? Huh? You see him at the games in Miami? I did, yeah, but it doesn't mean I like him. With his 20-year-old girlfriend? Yep. Uh, but uh, again, no, you know we're done with the podcast from Carson's talking about Dave Portnoy's girlfriend. But thanks for listening to another another episode of Rippin' Hoops, associated with the Rose City Hoops Instagram page. Have a great week, guys.